Let's turn our Bibles to Mark chapter 8 this morning. Uh, we're continuing our study uh, in the Gospel of Mark. I'll read for you verses 1 through 10, then we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll talk. In those days, the multitude, being very great, and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said to them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. And then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And so he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, and he broke them. And he gave them to his disciples to set before them, and they set them before the multitude. And they also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said, uh, to set them before them, and so they ate and were filled. They took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. And Lord, we look to you and we thank you that you have a supply that we cannot exhaust. And so often, Lord, like the disciples and like the multitude, Lord, we can come to places and times of desperation when, Lord, we have no resources of our own, that you are the God who wonderfully has a supply that will never run dry. Lord, you're always there. We thank you that you're our provider. And, Lord, you are always faithful. And, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us, Lord, with faith, Lord, not only to read these stories, to appreciate them, but, Lord, to believe them and that there would be personal application, Father, within our lives. I thank you, Lord, for those that are here this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, as you've given us a new year with new beginnings, new hope, Lord, uh, new opportunities. Lord, for we uh, thank you for the great things that you do. And, Lord, uh, we want to be a part of that. Lord, we can read stories of what you did of old. Lord, we can hear testimonies of what you've done in someone else's life. But Lord, we need you to work in a, in a personal way in each one of our situations. So Lord, grant to us, I pray, insight. Give to us understanding. Lord, strengthen our faith to believe you that you're the God who does great and mighty things. And Father, we pray as we Read your word today. Lord, uh, give us, we pray, application, understanding in these things. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may, uh, as you read the story, as we read it and you consider it, say, wow, that sounds very familiar. Uh, because if you remember, there was a miracle very similar to this that we did, or we talked about, rather, about a, a month and a half ago. And there's a similarity, but there are two different groups. Two different groups that Jesus is ministering to in this situation, uh, because now he's in this place called Decapolis. Uh, last time we saw that he was in Israel proper, uh, ministering to Jews, and as we looked at the end of chapter 7 last week, we saw that Jesus was in Tyre and Sidon, and so now we find he's in Decapolis, and that's on the eastern side, basically, of uh, the Sea of Galilee, 
It starts at the lower area, sort of works its way up and goes all the way up into Damascus. Ten cities are basically, you know, part of uh, the Greek culture, uh, little Roman colonies and that sort of thing. And these are basically Gentile areas. So Jesus here ends up, and it's not because they, the, one of the disciples lost the compass. Uh, it's because he's there intentionally. He is there to minister to these Gentiles. And, of course, we know, as we looked at the story last week, uh, that was not his priority. But remember, what he's doing here is that he's training the disciples. Uh, he's training them. He's preparing them. Because what he's doing here, by taking them in Gentile territory, he's removing those cultural biases you know, those attitudes and things that, you know, people can have. And, of course, uh, there was a tremendous resentment and a hatred, uh, you know, from the Jew toward the Gentile because of what the Gentile nations had done to them over several hundred years. And we can understand that. Um, and so, you know, the Lord, in order for, the, you know, he's going to use them in a later way to send them around the world. So here, in a sense, this is a forerunner, a precursor, uh, of the ministry that they're going to have because the disciples are going to be those that he sends, you know, he scatters them throughout the world, you know, with the gospel. And so here we find in this scenario, uh, he is training them. And no doubt the first time around they learned something. And, and here now with this second uh, multiplication of the fishes of the loaves, it's going to be something new. Because remember with him, with Jesus Christ, there's always something new and fresh uh, he's teaching us. Now, sometimes, you know, we think, well, you know, I read this, I read this book, you know, this Gospel of Mark uh, or any particular you know, book in the Bible. I read this, you know, five times or ten times. Is there anything more I can learn out there? Yes, there is. Because, you know, God's Word is alive uh, and it's active. Uh, and so when he speaks, you know, when we read his Word and we come to it by faith, that's very important. When we come to the Scriptures, we need to come believing that this is the Word of God, that he will wonderfully speak you know, truth into our life. Uh, he will address circumstances and situations in our life that are present. Uh, you know, so often I feel, my, I feel like when I come to the Lord, sometimes I feel like when I go to the doctor, I have a pain, but I don't know where it is. I don't know quite what it's all about or what kind of treatment I need. And when we come to the great physician, Dr. Jesus, we oftentimes don't know what he needs to fix in our lives, but he does. And all we need to do is just bring our situation, our circumstance, our perplexity, our problem, whatever it is, as we bring it to him in faith, the Lord will wonderfully intervene and work in our situation. Now, in these first two verses, we find out that as Jesus here has been with them uh, for a number of days, you know, ministering to them, um, that they have nothing to eat. It's sort of mentioned in verses 1 and 2. And again, hunger is one of those great motivators in life. Uh, it motivates us to do certain things, to, you know, and to move us in certain ways, and any, you know, just to meet that particular need. You know, we've got a lot of different drives, you know, in this, you know, in, in, our, in our humanity. And uh, sometimes they can just sort of, uh, you know, motivate us and move us maybe in the wrong kind of way. And, and what we see here, what I think Jesus is really wanting to teach them and show them, that the greatest need in life is to be filled with him. You ever notice how, you know, there's, a, there's, there's something within our humanity. Uh, there's sort of a hunger, a craving, a thirsting, and it's always there. And sometimes we just try to fill it up with the wrong kind of stuff. And, uh, and what Jesus, I think, is wanting to show the multitudes. And, and, and another thing, too, I think it's important because sometimes, you know, we as Christians, our church work and certain denominations have been so focused on the social aspect and the social needs of man 
that remember this is not a priority. Now, God cares about those things, and we do those things as a church. But the first priority is to get the truth to people, to get the word of God, because that's, that's what's going to transform lives. That's what's going to change life. And remember, what's what Jesus has been doing here for three days? He's been teaching them. And so they're finally at a point where they're hungry. Uh, he's going to meet that need. He's going to speak to that uh, particular situation. I was reading Psalm 81, and Psalm 81 says, Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. And I think the Lord is addressing and speaking more to that deep inner need that we have in our life. Yes, God takes care of us. Uh, he meets our material needs. He meets our physical needs. Um, he, he wonderfully feeds us and takes care of us in so many different ways. But again, sometimes, you know, we can neglect that greatest need and hunger uh, and thirst deep within our life and, and misread it many different ways, but it's really a hunger and a thirst for him. Uh, there's been different times where I have found myself, uh, and, and I'm sure you can relate to this, you, you, you feel kind of like unsettled and maybe hungry. So you go to the refrigerator, and you go through each shelf. You take inventory as you go through each shelf, and you look in the drawers. It's like, ah, I don't think I feel like eating any of that. And uh, then I go over to the pantry. I move to the pantry, and I take inventory. I go through the shelves. What's in this shelf and the next shelf and, and so on and so forth? And sometimes I just have to close the door to the pantry and to the refrigerator because it's really a spiritual hunger. And I think God, you know, it's like when I was doing that one time, and the Lord just kind of whispered in my ear. He says, hey, why don't you come and spend some time with me? Because, again, it's, it's you know, sometimes, you know, we, we, we try to, you know, meet those deeper needs in our life in the wrong kind of a way. And I think the world, you know, the devil so often in different ways in our culture and our society you know, that he knows that people have that in them. And, and so he's always offering some counterfeit, you know, something that, you know, people, there's so many people, think about all, all the people today that are trying to plug their life, you know, you know, into something or the other. Um, sometimes it's good things, uh, endeavors in a sense. Uh, sometimes it's not so good things. I think of the people, I grew up in an alcoholic home, and I watch, I watch people destroying themselves with alcohol. And it's a very destructive and a very deceptive thing. Um, I was a teenager in the 1960s. Uh, that's when, you know, when the whole um, drug scene, you know, began to take place. And I can remember, I can remember, I didn't know the Lord at that time, but I can remember the, the, the progression of, uh, you know, of, of that generation, my generation. You know, it first started out, you know, kids were, you know, a lot of my buddies, you know, at 13 years old. You know, we were drinking because all of our parents drank. Um, not in front of them, but we were doing it on the sneak. Uh, but then it, then it was marijuana. Uh, and then it was LSD and mescaline and speed and eventually heroin. And I never got into all those things. But, but the Lord allowed me, you know, as a poor kid that lived in a big city, to see that downward trend that it wasn't going anywhere. And that was one of the reasons why I joined the, the armed services at that particular time. I just wanted to get away. Uh, I had graduated from high school. I wanted to get away from the, from the streets, from the lifestyle and all that. And, and the Lord really used that in my life. And uh, so I did come back home. And, and a few years later, in 1975, uh, I came to Christ. And the Lord came into my life. And about 10 years after that fact, uh, I went back to Philadelphia to visit my parents, my Mar Margie and I and a couple of our kids. And for some reason, one of my old buddies showed up at the house. And he said, hey, why don't you come over and say hello to everybody? 
and uh, and I had seen I hadn't seen everybody in just you know it was roughly about 20 years uh, so we're all kind of like in our mid-30s at that particular point and so he invites me to, and, and so I go with him and it's it's it happens to be an apartment over a bar um, and I go in there and everybody's on drugs and it was like, these were, these were my old friends. These were my old friends that I grew up with, I went to school with, I hung out with. These were all my friends from the, 19, you know, from the 1960s. And here it was like the mid-1980s. And, and, and it's like I realized how different my life would have been without Jesus Christ. Because they were just, you know, in that 20 years into the drug scene. And uh, as I went back on a reunion, many of you know that I was, I was asking you for prayer about two years ago, I went back on a reunion, and I found out for the most part they're all dead. They're all dead. That's why Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. There's only life in Jesus Christ. And again, the counterfeit comes out to people, you know, in so many different ways. We live in such an affluent culture and a society that Satan uses so many things to deceive people where people think, you know, that's going to satisfy that inner hunger. That's going to satisfy that inner longing. And the only thing that really satisfies that, as we know, is Christ coming in, Christ coming into our life. And, uh, and I was just informed by John who did the announcements. One of the young guys that were in, was in our first service uh, came to Christ um, and uh, John had been ministering to this fellow for eight years, and he came to Christ today. He prayed with somebody, uh, prayed with John and a bunch of the guys, um, you know, in the, uh, in the cafe. And, you know, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, about committing our life, giving our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when he comes in, he is life. And, and, and we experience life on a totally different level. You know, before Christ, we knew life, you know, on a physical level, on an emotional level, but never on a spiritual level until the Holy Spirit of God, you know, comes into your life. Because when the Holy Spirit of God comes into your life and changes you, it's so wonderfully powerful that other people will recognize that you are a different person than you were before. We had, a, we had a funeral service here, a memorial service Friday morning. And I was sharing that very thing. I was sharing that very thing that uh, when the Holy Spirit of God comes into your life, he changes your life. You're not the same person you were. And if anybody knew you before and after, they're going to testify to that effect. Yeah, you're, 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 different. you're a totally different person. And one of the guys came up to me and, and uh, he said, you know, he said, my daughter who doesn't, who's not a Christian yet, I don't think she's a Christian yet, um, came up to me. And she said to me, he's saying, she said, Dad, I see such a difference in your life, you know, since you came to Jesus Christ. And that's the way it should be, that there's something wonderfully, radically altered in our lives. I mean, he may not change our basic personality, but all of a sudden, there's an illumination. There's the life of God. And, and you know, when we talk about eternal life, eternal life doesn't begin when you die and go to heaven for the, for the believer. Eternal life begins when you get saved. 
because the eternal spirit of God comes into your life uh, and wonderfully, you know, alters it and changes it. And he's making us more and more, you know, like himself. You know, I, I, there's a man, I was speaking to a man first service in the cafe, and he said, my birthday's tomorrow. I said, oh, wow, how, how old are you tomorrow? He said, I'm 74. And, uh, and him and his wife, you know, both, both of us said, wow, you, you don't look like you're 74. And, uh, and I can relate to that because in two months I'm 70. And, uh, and it's like, that's a scary number. You know, it's like, whoa, 70, you know. I don't feel like some real old dude, okay. I, I feel like I'm 30 or 35, you know, in my spirit. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. You know, there's some people that by the time they get 30, they're old. By the time they get 30, they're old in their thinking. When God's eternal spirit comes into your life, that's why we feel young. His spirit's eternal. There's an eternal youthfulness. And I'll tell you what, I don't care if you, uh, nobody here is 100. Anybody here 100 years old? I don't think so. None of you guys look like you're 100 years old yet anyway. But even if you're 100 years old, you know what? You're still a pup. You're still a pup in the light of eternity. And I was thinking about this. You know, there's going to come a day, and I guess we, I guess we, you know, in our new bodies, we maybe calculate this. There's going to come a day in eternity when you will be a million years old. A and you've only begun. You've only begun at a million years old because it's going to be trillions and gazillions and whatever the number, the, uh, the, the, the word would be. You want, we need, God's Spirit in our lives. Okay, so again, the higher purpose here for Jesus with the multitudes is not just to feed them, but again here to spiritually reveal that He can satisfy. He can satisfy any longing. He can satisfy any need. And again, He's created us with those, that sense of need. But again, ultimately, it can only be fulfilled, you know, by him. And again, that inner appetite, that inner hunger. Again, I think sometimes we try to satisfy it in so many different ways. And that's why Jesus said in John chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life. Now, chapter 6 of John goes back to that first miracle, the 5,000. And he says this to them. He says, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna, the bread uh, in the desert, the wilderness, and they're dead. But this is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. And of course, it's a spiritual application. Yes, he fed them. And he's saying, yeah, this is just plain old bread, but I'm the bread of life. And when you partake of me, when you receive me into your life, you will never die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live or she will live forever. And the bread that I give uh, is my life, my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So in order for us to even have this life, Jesus Christ offered up his life. You know, he gave his life that we might have life. Uh, he became sin, you know, for us that we might have the life of God, you know, within our experience, within our particular life. You know, Jesus also, too, remember the night before the crucifixion, and he's in the... Um, the upper room for the Last Supper with the disciples. And, he's, and, he's, and he's, he's the fulfillment of Passover. Of all the Passovers that they've had to that point, 
They are all fulfilled in that night. And he says, take this bread and eat it. For basically, this is, this is my life I give for the world. And he says, take this wine, take this cup. Um, and I, I guess I, I would imagine, too, maybe even some of the disciples thought, of, well, this is, sounds cannibalistic. And whenever you talk to the Jew about, you know, because he said, if you, that's why it's interesting. Sometimes God will say things that they're hard for us to get our brain around. And he's checking us out. He's checking us out if, to see if there's some little thing that we don't understand. And is that all of a sudden going to be the reason why we just sort of, you know, we walk out the door? Because there's going to, folks, let me tell you what, there's going to be a lot of things that you and I don't understand uh, as far as situations and circumstances in, in, that we find ourselves in. And we're saying, Lord, what, what's going on here? There, there's going to be many things through our spiritual life and God just simply says, you know what? I, I want you to trust me. I, I want you to, I know you're in a difficult place. I know you can't understand it. But I simply want you to trust me because I'm the one who's going to take care of you. I'm the one who's going to minister to you. I will extricate you from this particular situation. Because there's a lot of times you just, you get into things where you just, and, and a lot of people, the, I've seen people over the years turn their back on the Lord because something happened, some circumstance happened in their life. They can't reconcile it. They can't reconcile it with a God who says, I'm going to take care of you. I love you. But that's where faith comes in. That's where trust comes in. Even like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And when those difficult times come, that, that, that's where our faith is being tested. You know, faith is like a muscle in a sense. It's a spiritual muscle. And, and just like if you want your muscle to get bigger, you've got to use it. If you, if, you, if you want your arm and your body to atrophy, just lay in bed all day long. It will not take very long for your muscles to begin to atrophy. And you know what? Faith, in a sense, is like that. It has to be exercised. He, he calls us to trust him and believe him in the midst of very difficult situations. I think, I think to me, that's one of the greatest witnesses, you know, of our faith when people are watching us, you know, going through adversity, you know, going through a crisis, you know, going through a difficult thing, you know, where, you know, we didn't blow our brains out, we didn't, you know, turn to the bottle, you know, we didn't just, you know, uh, go out and get to ho cocaine or, or heroin, uh, just to, you know, anesthetize ourselves going through this difficult thing. Because, see, God's grace can sustain us as we trust him, no matter what the difficult situation uh, in our life may be. Now, how quickly they have forgotten who he is. And when I think about that, how true that is in our lives as well, how we can maybe walk with the Lord for so many years. We could have, you know, we can have such a knowledge of the Bible, but yet at the same time, too, when we're going through a, when, when we're facing a new challenge in our life, we can forget who God is. We can forget the things that he has done in our life. I don't know about you, but I have forgotten those things many times. Now, remember in verse 4 here, they're saying to Jesus, how could one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Well, I don't know how long ago it was. Maybe it was a month. Maybe it was two when that other miracle was performed. But it seems to be they had completely forgotten, you know, what the Lord had done. They had forgotten, no doubt, about Moses in the wilderness. He was the manna man, right? And uh, every day God would provide, every day God would feed them 
um, and nourish them and encourage them. And, of course, we know uh, the story uh, that even though God was doing that, you know, the God's people, human nature, complaining, you know, griping about God, you know, feeding them, uh, you know, that particular, that manna, um, you know, that, that kind of food instead of just being thankful that they had food. But that's how human nature is sometimes, isn't it? I think sometimes, you know, also I think we can become kind of discouraged in our faith, uh, you know, as maybe we're in a wilderness, we're in a difficult place, we can't see the hand of God, and, uh, you know, you've been uh, encouraged to, you know, get up every day and have your devotions and spend time with God, and you get to a place where you think, well, you know, I don't, uh, you know, here I've been doing that, I've been doing that for so long now. And it just doesn't seem like it's doing any good. I think we get sometimes in those places where we're defeated and we're discouraged. And, and we need to continue to keep seeking him because he's the answer. And again, sometimes he allows us to be stretched, just to be stretched in our faith and in our particular circumstances because he's going to come through in a very abundant and a very blessed way. Now, uh, in verses 5 and 6, uh, the question is, uh, to them, how many loaves do you have? And so all they had is seven, seven particular loaves. But remember the last time, it was 12. Uh, the number was 12 last time. And uh, the question has come up many different times as we've gone through uh, different Bible studies about the significance of numbers. Uh, there is a biblical numerology, uh, but I think you have to be careful with that. I think sometimes people put too much... Um, uh, you know, there's almost sometimes a superstitious kind of idea about numbers in the Bible. And I think seeing a code everywhere in the Bible, I think, I don't know. I don't <coughs> Pardon me. I don't see that. But I do see sometimes there are, you know, significance in numbers. Like, like for instance, um, I think Bollinger uh, uh, wrote a book on biblical numerology. But like, for instance, two, the number two in Scripture is the number of witness. Number three is the number of Trinity. The number of five is the number of mercy. Six is the number of man. Seven is the number of completeness. Eight is the number of new beginning. Ten uh, is the number of law. Twelve, um, let's see, twelve is the number of um, uh, government. You've got the twelve tribes of Israel, the, the, the twelve apostles. Um, uh, the number thirty is the number of maturity. The number forty is the number of testing. Uh, You've got Jesus in the wilderness for 40 uh, 40 days, you got the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. And the number of 50 is uh, the, the jubilee number, uh, the number of release, the number of blessings. So there are significance in numbers. But the number seven here, it's kind of interesting because if you remember in the previous miracle, it was 12 baskets that were left over. Why was that? Because they were Jews. And that spoke to the fact that they were Jews and there were 12 tribes. And what the Lord was saying in that is he is saying, I am the complete sufficiency for Israel. And what he's saying here in this number seven, because number seven is what? Perfection uh, or completeness, and we, we oftentimes refer to it as God's number. And basically he is saying, I am the complete sufficiency for this world. And look what he's done. Look what he's done in lives and nations, you know, over the last 2,000 years as the gospel truth has gone in to transform and to change you know, not only, you know, it starts oftentimes with an individual and spreads through the family. And then it spreads into the community, into the society at large. It has an impact. You know, one thing I noticed, uh, 
you know, because of, uh, you know, as you know, church history and so forth, and you look, you, you realize that there was a reformation and there was transformation that took place in hundreds of lives and many countries in Europe. And one of the things I've noticed is when you look at a lot of these uh, European national flags, there's a cross on it. There's a cross on it because of what God did at one time in that society by changing hearts and changing lives. And you know what? He's the same God today. Transforming life, changing lives. And we have to remember that. You know, sometimes we feel the pressure of the world. You know, we get discouraged. We think, you know, because of there's, you know, persecution against, you know, Christianity. And, and people oftentimes, you know, when you talk about the Lord, they don't want to hear it. But the fact of the matter is, you know, we have the message. And there's the power of the Holy Spirit to take that word and to impact. You know, one of the things that I've often said when I'm preaching, I can never tell oftentimes what's going on in people's lives because of their face. And I remember one time, oh, more than one time, there was maybe somebody new in the church, and you know, I was I was preaching and so forth, and I think, boy, that person, the way they look, they probably can't wait to get out of here. And you know, they meet me at the door and they say, Well, you know what? Thank you for that message. It really blessed my life. And I think a lot of times when we read people as far as sharing the gospel, we think, well, man, maybe they don't want to hear the gospel. But you see, God's created that void, that that emptiness, like we were referring to here, that hunger or thirst, you know, deep within the life. That, that when the truth of God comes into their airspace and touches their life, it has a way of resonating with them. You know, God knows. God knows somebody's need. Uh, and it's always a wonderful thing when you're, you're talking to somebody about the Lord and you can see, you can see the light, you know, uh, dawning on their face. You can see the expression, and that's a wonderful thing. But a lot of times that doesn't happen. But don't let that be a deterrent to you, you know, to share, you know, your faith because God has created every human being and he has created every human being, even though people will not choose it. People do not want it. People will reject it. But he has chose, he has, he has created every human being to bring glory to him. He has created every human being that he might fill their lives with his Holy Spirit, whether they want it, want it or not. And I didn't want it. You know, Margie, when we got, you know, when we first heard the gospel, like she was all in, and uh, and I wasn't. I wasn't all in. I was pushing back. I was pushing back, and and uh, and it took a, you know, and it's a good thing too that she was all in because if she would have said, you know, let's get out of here, you know, I don't like what I'm hearing, um, who knows what have, what would what would have happened, but uh, you know, just over the course of a, a few days. You know, the, the truth coming in to my life, it had impact, even though outwardly, externally. And I went to church that Sunday. Um, Friday night, the first time I heard go the gospel. It was actually here in Webster, and we lived in Farmington. There used to be a ministry many, many years ago called the Salt Mine. And it was an old barn. And this was the summer of 1975. And, um, and it was just basically an outreach to young people. And uh, so all these, you know, we were in our mid-20s, so they drugged me up there, and uh, I heard the gospel, and I was just like, okay, let's go home, <laughs> and uh, um, had exposure the whole next day, and they got me into church, got me into a little church on a Sunday morning, and I don't know if I ever heard anything the pastor said, quite frankly, 
I just don't know. I was just so, I, I, I don't want to be here. I want to get out of here. And it's interesting because um, they put me in the row. They put me in one of the, you know, the pews, and they put me in this row against the wall. And they had these two big guys that looked like bouncers. I mean, they separated me from my wife. I don't know what was going on there. But uh, uh, there's two guys, like big bouncers. No, as a matter of fact, I'm sorry, there were one on each side of me. And when it came to a certain part of the worship, they grabbed my hands and they went like this. And I'm freaking out. I want to be out of here. These, these crazy Pentecostals. I, uh, and I remember that uh, after the service is over, man, I just like, I got to get out of here. There's a big crowd and everybody's in the aisle. And they're all hugging one another and, and all that. And people are just, and they apparently know I'm an unbeliever. The word probably circulated probably quickly or whatever the case may be. And so people are just hugging me. They're hugging me. And, and, and I just really sensed the love of God. And by the time I got to the door that I wanted to get at through the whole service, I turned around. I turned around and I came back. Because I just, there was, God was just drawing me, you know, by the love that I sensed, you know, in God's people that they didn't want anything for anything from me. They just wanted to love me. And I just really sensed in a very powerful way the love of Christ. And, you know, our, our behavior and how we, I think, respond to people. A lot of times we're so fearful and afraid to, you know, t talk, t talk to people about the Lord that they're kind of just picking up that kind of signal. But again, we need the love of God. We need the love of Jesus Christ, you know, at work, you know, within us. And again, their salvation is not predicated upon you doing the greatest job of sharing your faith. You know, God's got to save people, Amen. We can't save people. I've never saved a soul in my whole life. All we can do is, you know what? We can do our part by sharing the gospel, and God has to do the rest of it. It's really basically, you know, up to him. So what we see here in these verses and in this story here, that Jesus Christ is our complete sufficiency. You know, Paul said this uh, to the Philippian church, the poor church. He said, my God shall supply all of your need according to the riches, you know, of Christ Jesus. And that's true for us, too. He's not just speaking, you know, to the Philippians. He's speaking to us as well. He's speaking also to the, the Corinthians. And the context of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 uh, was basically giving. But, but Paul takes this little verse, a little slice out of it, because sometimes when it comes to giving, people are poor. People feel they can't do it. Uh, they're stretched and all that kind of thing. Uh, but in the midst of this chapter, Paul reminds us of what God has given to us. God is a generous God. He's a giving God. And, and I've said this before, when we, usually when we come to these kind of chapters. Um, you can't outgive God. You can never. As a matter of fact, I challenge you to try it. If you think you can outgive the Lord, he, again, he will give back into your bosom, as the Bible says, you know, uh, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Um, you know, God is so wonderfully gracious. But here's what he says. He says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. I just love that verse. You know, when you speak about God's supply, God's sufficiency, that he's going to take care of us. And, and whatever the need may be, physical, emotional, spiritual, 
that's why it's first and foremost, we need to really come, you know, and, and, and bring our situations, our burdens, our problems, our crises, whatever it is. We need to come and bring that before the Lord. Because he's all sufficient. He's able. God is able. I love that verse. He is wonderfully able. And, it, and, and to do for you and me exceedingly, abundantly above, as the Bible says, what you and I can even ask. I believe God wants to give and do for us more than we want to pray. He wants to answer prayer more than we want to pray. And, and many of us have got great needs. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. This week, we're banding together, and we just want to make it a week of prayer. And there's some great, we have some prayer points on here. Uh, some, uh, also, if, if you're... If you're thinking about, uh, you know, intermittent fasting and that, that sort of thing, or, or maybe you're the kind of pet person that you can fast for a day or a couple days, whatever, uh, one of the suggestions we made may be fasting social media. And um, you're just setting some time aside. I know we've got busy lives, but the fact is that we do what we want to do. And uh, if we make time for God, you know, God says this, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. He means that. And if we will, again, make him a priority to seek after him, to know him in a better way. And the wonderful thing that I've seen, the beautiful thing, the incredible thing about intercession is, is that you and I, coming before the Lord with a sincere heart, can pray for other people that their lives would be saved, their lives would be changed. And that's an incredible thing when you think about it. You know, because it says in, uh, I think it's Hebrews 7.25, that he, Christ, ever lives, always lives, to make intercession, you know, for the saints of God according to the will of God. And when you and I pray and intercede for other people, we are entering into the intercessions and the prayers of Jesus Christ. And it's a mind blower when we see him answer those prayers. So don't be discouraged. Don't, don't let the devil beat you up that, you know, I'm not a prayer warrior. I'm not an intercessor. Well, you're called to pray. If God's Holy Spirit is in you, he has called each one of us, you know, to pray in God because he wants to answer these prayers much more, I believe, than, um, than we, uh, we want to pray. So, again, lesson number one that we find here in this first part here is that Jesus Christ is totally sufficient for our needs. Remember Abraham? And one of the things that you see, have you noticed all these different names, titles of God in the Old Testament? Because he's so, he, God is so incredibly comprehensive that one title doesn't capture it all. And so the Lord says to um, Ab Abram in, in Genesis 17, he says basically to him, he says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be perfect. The term there, God Almighty, if you look into the original language, it's El Shaddai. You've heard the song many different times, El Shaddai. But it means this. It means the all-sufficient one. And what he's telling Abraham in his situation and his circumstances is, Abraham, I am sufficient for you. And he comes to tell us that at times when we feel so vulnerable or we feel like our resources have been exhausted. And a lot of times financially, the bank is empty. 
But he says, I'm your all-sufficient one. Now, over in chapter 22, and we don't know between seven, uh, Genesis 17 and Genesis 22 how long uh, you know, that, that stretch was. But we find there in Genesis 22, God is saying to Abraham once again, I am Jehovah Jireh, or perhaps you know, maybe the more Hebrew correct would be Yahweh Yireh. And what he's saying to Abraham, though, is this. I am God, your provider. And remember, he provided a sacrifice. Remember, Abraham, Abraham was going to offer up Isaac. That, that was the, that was the, the context. He was gonna, God was testing his faith. And he was going to offer up Isaac. And then all of a sudden, there's a ram. <laughs> there's a ram in the thicket. And God says to him, <laughs> you know, basically, um, here's your provision. And in every situation, and to think about God, whether it comes to faith or whatever the case may be, we don't get this big reservoir. He takes us through life, and he will impart the wherewithal, the faith, or whatever we need in this new situation that taxes us, that's way beyond our ability. I think we need to be very careful because a lot of times, as a Christian, you can plateau. You know, I've walked with the Lord, you know, we've done great things, but I don't think I want to go any further. But, but if you're a child of God, he is going to keep testing you, challenging you, because he wants to do more for you. He is wonderfully faithful and gracious in all, you know, in all things. Now, lesson number two is this. We find it in verse 7. All they have is basically some bread, 12 little loaves of bread, probably like 12 little rolls is probably what they were, and the fish here, the few small fish, is probably nothing but sardines. I mean, that's ridiculous when you think about, you know, providing that. And, and of course, you know, when, when you look back at, you know, verse 4, you know, how can all these be satisfied? They forgot what he had done before. They were just looking, and like we do so often, we, we forget the greatness of our God. We forget what he did in the past. And all we do is we look at the difficulty of our circumstances, the challenging you know, nature of it, the, the, the littleness of our resources. And here's what the lesson is. Give God what you have and start with what you have. Start, with, start where you are. You know, a lot of times, I, you know, when it comes to God using your life, you know, what I like about Jesus, remember in Matthew 28, uh, as he signed off, um, and he says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. You know, I think a lot of times when it comes to God using us or serving him in some kind of capacity, because I don't know, you know, the Apostle Paul, remember, when, as soon as he was saved, uh, he said, what would thou havest me to do, Lord? First thing he said, and I don't know about you, when I first got saved, I just wanted to do something for God. That's the first thing I wanted to do. I just wanted, Lord, I want to do something for you. And, and I think it's important, you know, a lot of times, you know, when it comes to, you know, I, I think uh, because, I, I think because of our educational model as part of it, um, and, and our, our Western model of thinking, is that, you know, well, i got to go to Bible school. Uh, i got to go to seminary. Listen, I want to tell you what. God can use you right where you are. And he wants to use you right where you are. A lot of times we have these strategic plans of, you know, what we're going to do, and then God's going to do this. But what happens is they never, they never come into fruition because it takes so long to get to that point. 
Hey, we need to start with what we have. And what is interesting here, they gave him all that they had. What did they have? Nothing, hardly. Bread, little fish. See, he had to multiply it. Remember in John chapter 2, he was going to perform the miracle, filling, the, filling all the pots with wine. See, they were called to bring the water. They, couldn't turn, they could not turn the water into wine. Jesus did that. So we need to give to him. You need to give to him your life. I, 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 you, know, I, you know, I was thinking about this today. I, I wonder how many people that legitimately, honestly heard about Jesus Christ. They heard truth spoken into their life because the Bible says today that ever present now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And I am convinced there are people in eternity without Jesus Christ that have regretted and lamented the fact that I kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. I think some people think, well, you know, when I clean my act up, then I'll come to Jesus Christ. Forget it. You're not going to clean it up. As a matter of fact, it could probably get a little dirtier. We, we need to start right here and right now and commit ourselves to him. Entrust our life. And, and that takes faith right there, doesn't it? And I know it's, I know it's a little bit scary, you know, to entrust yourself to Jesus Christ. I, I remember as I was challenged with it, because I didn't know who these people were. I think, oh, that's a religious cult. That's the last thing that I wanted to be a part of. But again, the Holy Spirit convinced me otherwise. And there came that moment where I just, I had to relinquish myself. I had to, and it was sincere. It wasn't deeply, you know, theological. It's just one of those simple prayers, Lord, if you are real, if you are who these people say you are, I know I need that in my life. And I think we all have to come you know, to that simple place where, where we believe and accept the claims of Jesus, that he will transform, that he will change, he will renovate us. You know, I think a lot of times what happens is, you know, some people come to Christ as children. Bless God, that's, that's a great thing. But sometimes there's such a, 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 a messed up history that finally somebody says, I can't, I'm giving you, I'm turning over the, 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 the wheel of my life to you, Jesus. Because sometimes the life is just, you know, failure after failure after failure. Even with the best intentions, we realize how vulnerable, how weak we are, how powerless we are. And, and in that, I think God is simply saying to us, give me your life. <laughs> give me your life. You want to serve him? You want to be the best that you can be? It will only happen when we relinquish ourselves and give him the raw material. Give him what you have. And that, first and foremost, is our life. Remember, Paul put it like this. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable, which is our what? Reasonable service. It's so reasonable. That's why the Lord says, <coughs> pardon me, over in Isaiah chapter 2, come let us reason together. It's so reasonable to present our bodies, to give our lives you know, to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And of course here, and uh, 
our last section here is the third, the third lesson, the third principle, is you know what, it's not about food, it's not about bread, it's not about the external, it's about him. It's about, about partaking him. It's about being filled with him. And again, the deeper spiritual needs so often are misread, and people think, well, if I only do this, if I only have that. And watch how sometimes people are driven to go after different things if they think that this is going to satisfy my life. And the only satisfaction, real satisfaction, the real fulfillment, the real joy will come when he comes. He'll come into your life. And he'll equip you and gift you and enable you to do things that otherwise would simply be impossible. Because see, God created, see, in a sense, your life is a canvas. And you can paint your own story. You can do your own thing. People do it all the time. But if you let him paint it, man, it is going to be beautiful. It is going to be awesome. Because, you know, in a, in a sense, when you think about your life, given it's a work of art. You are a work of art. Each one of us are a special, unique creation by God. But that can only be fulfilled to it in its fullest sense as we commit and surrender ourselves to him. So how can we continually, constantly feed ourselves? By that book you got in your hand. God will speak to you through that book. He'll guide you. He'll direct you. You know, the biggest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms, and the biggest chapter in the Bible is in the book of Psalms, and the biggest chapter is Psalm 119. I think it's 160-some verses, maybe 170. But every one of those verses refers to the Bible, the Word of God, and what it'll do for each one of us. And here's just, an, here's just a for instance. It will guide you. It will counsel you. It will cleanse your life. It will clarify issues. It will enlighten things. It will set you free. Remember, Jesus said, you know, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I mean, think about all the people today that are in some form of bondage, some kind of addiction. And so many of those people have come to Christ, and they declare their freedom, their liberation, their emancipation. The Word of God will illuminate us. It will comfort us. It will defeat evil in our lives, and it will give us knowledge. God's awesome Word. And that's what, the, that's what the, the illustration was in the wilderness, the manna. It was a picture of his word. It was a picture of his truth coming into the lives, feeding God's people each and every day. And I want to close with this last reference here in Hebrews chapter 4. If you want to turn there, um, if not, I'll just read it to you. It's Hebrews chapter 4 and starting in verse 12. And the writer here, uh, I have come to so uh, appreciate uh, this little uh, section here, because it tells us the Word of God is living and powerful. It's alive. It's active in your life when you believe it. When you receive God's truth in your life, it will create an activity, a supernatural activity of God. When you read His promises and you believe them, you digest them. I can't tell you how many times I've read the Bible and said, Lord, do that in me. I want that. Do that in me. And you know what? I've seen him do it. When you read a promise, 
and you resonate and it resonates with you, you need to say that, Lord, do that in me. Don't, don't feel condemned because it isn't in you already. I mean, the devil is always condemning us. But we come to the promise and say, Lord, I love that. I, I need that. I want that in my life. So his word is living and it's powerful. It's active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. In other words, it's a sharp instrument. And, and I, you know, before I came in ministry, I used to be a dental technician. And I used to work with surgical knives all the time. I cut myself a lot of times. And um, God's word is sharper than a surgical instrument. And you know what? You read it and it will cut through the issues and the layers of your life and speak to the need. It'll speak to the need. I can't tell you how many times in preaching over the years, you know, people would say to me, that was, man, I can't believe you share that today. I've been thinking about that. And, and it's like, you know, it's like, I don't know. I don't know those things. I just share the Bible and God. That's God's word. He takes it. He illuminates it. You know, he counsels, you know, with his truth and with his word. So it separates, it divides between soul, spirit, um, joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions, the motivations of the heart. God's word speaks to all those areas in our life. And he brings clear clarity. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So God sees everything. He sees us today. He sees our need. He sees our situation. If there's something that you need to commit to the Lord, I'm going to ask you to stand up this morning. You don't have to stand up and give a confession. God knows what it is. But if there's some area of need, maybe something that you want to turn over to him, I want, to, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Pray the Lord would encourage you and bless you and, and answer you know, that prayer in your life. If you have any need, any need comes to mind. Just stand up and God sees your heart. God knows your need. And, and I can't answer that for you. But we can pray together. We can agree and we can ask God to do it. Amen. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you that you're a God who answers prayer. And everything is transparent before you. You know our past. You know our present. And you know our future. And so, Lord, we want to commit these things into your hands. Lord, there are so many things in life. They're too big for us. We're weak. We're vulnerable. Lord, we, uh, we've come to realize, Lord, how greatly you love us, how powerful you are. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. You have been faithful to us our entire lives, even before we knew you. And so, Father, as we embark, Lord, on this, this new year, Lord, with, um, with all of the future tests and challenges and opportunities, Lord, we want to walk with you. We want to put our hand in the hand of the Master. And, Father, we give to you whatever issue Lord, today we've stood about. Lord, you see, you know. And how I pray, Father, that, Lord, that as we pray this week, that we might see, Lord, answers to prayer. 
that we might experience, Lord, your intervention. And thank you, Lord, that, Lord, you know exactly where to intervene and when to intervene. And so, Father, we just commit these matters to you. We commit our lives to you. We know that, Lord, that is truly the only place of safekeeping to commit our lives into the hands of Almighty God. Because, Lord, your plan, your future is only good. Not ours, but yours. So, Father, bless your people, especially for those, Lord, that have stood up with requests. We bring them before you. We thank you that you hear us. And, Lord, open our eyes, we pray, to see your answers when they come. We bless you, honor you, ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen. amen.